Today's topic is sex, and I gotta be honest, I was a little bit nervous preparing this week to talk about it, and, uh, but of all the Sundays, you know, there's that advice, um, of all the Sundays that you shouldn't do it when you're nervous, I'm not, you should not imagine the congregation naked when you're nervous as a way to help. Today, I'm definitely not doing that. The topic is too weird. I have been a dad now. Uh, for 10 years and in that 10 years I've had to do a lot of things that I didn't like doing it's kind of part of the job when you become a parent it's full of things that you have to do that you don't enjoy it's full of great things too uh, but there's a lot of things I have had to do that I didn't enjoy the thing that I have had to do that has been the most uncomfortable thing of my life uh, was to have the sex talk with my eight-year-old son justice and you know the talk it's the talk where you use all the anatomically correct words and phrases and it, you just steer into the awkwardness at full speed knowing you have to do it uh, the talk lasted about 30 minutes we covered the difference between boys and girls we talked about puberty we talked about why sex feels good and we talked about some of the consequences of sex good and bad and when I had finished explaining to him to the best of my ability we both breathed a sigh of relief and I'm pretty sure we didn't talk to each other for like three days <laughs> I know he didn't enjoy that conversation just like I didn't but it was good and it was important and what it did was open up a door for him to talk to me in the future if he had any questions and so it worked. So when it came to last week, a girl invited him to the Valentine's Day dance. And he chose to talk to me about it, which is a huge win. He told me about it, and he said, he got all serious, and he's like, Dad, do you think Mom's going to be mad? And I said, most definitely, she's going to be furious. You know she wants to be the only woman in your life. Uh, I asked him if I could tell that story, and he said yes. Um, uh, so on the night of the dance, he went to the dance, and he uh, he's in grade five, and so they're pretty young. And uh, I came to pick him up after the dance, and I mistakenly showed up five minutes early. And I walked in the door, and the horror on his face when he saw me, he's, Dad, it's not over yet. I was like, it's okay, Justice. I'll just sit on the couch here and wait till it's done. Can you wait in the car? I was pretty proud of that moment, actually. I was cramping his style. We learn very early in our lives that the most simple of relationships can have the most complex scenarios. And it only gets more confusing and mysterious as you grow older and start introducing things like sex and marriage. Today, we're going to talk about sex. And judging by the number of kids we have upstairs, you guys are all experts on the topic. But we're going to talk about it anyways. There was a popular song in the 90s uh, that I think sums up what our culture thinks about sex. You might know it. It says, you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. 
Our culture tells us that we are just animals, that sex is only natural, that it's just a physical act, that it's not special, that it's not sacred. It's just a biological imperative. Of the 100 million people on mobile dating apps, half of them, and that's, that's 50 million people, are on Tinder. They are swiping left on their phones over and over and over again until they see someone they like, and then they swipe right. And then they meet, and it's love at first sight, and they head straight to the chapel and get married and live happily ever after. You know that's not what's happening. We live in a time where having a sexual encounter is as easy as ordering an Uber. 36% of all internet activity, of all internet content, of all the things on the internet, 36% is pornography. One in four of every searches on the internet is for pornography. The average age of a, first, a person's first encounter with pornography is six years old. We live in a time when words like integrity, purity, fidelity, and monogamy seem like old school and out of touch words. And people laugh at the idea of waiting till marriage to have sex. Shows like The Bachelor portray virgins as an impossible rarity. And when divorce is all too common, a reality in churches and outside of churches. This is the time we live in. Society acts as if sex is just a physical attraction, while all the while ignoring that feeling deep down inside that we know it is more than that. So I ask the question, if sex is just physical, then why do the effects of sexual trauma linger like festering wounds that haven't been cleaned? If left untreated, why does sexual trauma shape how a person grows? Perhaps it is for the reason that contrary to what our culture preaches, sex is much more than just a physical activity. We believe that sex is a physical, emotional and spiritual act. That sex is this amazing gift from God that was designed to be shared between two people in love in the safe and nurturing environment of a marriage. Marriage has tangible and beneficial results in people's lives, and sex has sometimes awesome benefits for you and sometimes damaging consequences when used in the wrong way. So whether or not culture is willing to admit or not, that sex is not just physical, we believe that it is more powerful than that. Now, I could stand up here today and talk about all the ways that we can misuse sex. Uh, we could list all the rules, all the do-nots, uh, all the ways that you can screw it up, uh, but I think that would take us forever, and I think we would be missing the point entirely. So I think what's easiest for us to do is to look at what is the best way that we can experience sex and to look at the good example that God gave to us right at the very beginning. Right at the very beginning of time, God gave us a place where the power of sex is best harnessed in a committed, lifelong relationship called a marriage. And when Adam, the first man, laid eyes on Eve, 
the first woman, he was moved to writing a poem. Looking at Eve's naked body, they didn't have clothes then, looking at her naked body, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That is some steamy stuff right there. I mean, God put these two naked people together knowing exactly what it would lead to. And it's this relationship, Adam and Eve, that was used as an example for what all sexual relationships should look like. This is why a man leaves his father and a father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh, united, one flesh, in a physical, emotional, and spiritual bond. So, on one side... Culture is promoting this marketable, free-for-all, cheapened version of sex. And on the other side, God is promoting this sacred, exclusive, and elevated version of sex. And we get to choose which version we are going to subscribe to. We get to decide, do we trust God's design and instruction, or do we trust ourselves and our own desires? So obviously, I think trusting God with our sex lives is the right decision. And to understand how trusting God plays an important role, I want us to look at the well-known story of the city of Jericho and the role that three people played in that account. Their names are Joshua, Achan, and Rahab. So first, let's talk about Joshua. Joshua was a young guy who, after Moses died, was given the reins to the nation of Israel. This was no simple job. Uh, he would have to navigate his way through enemy lines as he led his people into the land that God had promised him. They had been wandering for 40 years, and his job was to make that wandering come to an end. His story begins with Joshua being challenged to put his trust in God. God says to him, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Listen, Joshua, this is not going to be easy. You're going to feel like giving up. You're going to feel like what I ask you to do is impossible or crazy. You're going to doubt everything. But listen, I will be with you every step of the way, leading you and guiding you. Trust me. So he trusts God, and he leads his people into dangerous territory, eventually ending up at the city of Jericho, surrounded by an impenetrable wall. God tells Joshua to siege the city of Jericho, and that all the treasure and all the bounty will be given to God as a sacrifice. And this is where things get a little weird in this story. And normally you, use, you would use like, uh, you would siege a city and attack it and try to tear down the walls or get over the walls. Uh, but God gives him some very specific instructions on how to take the city. God tells him you are to walk peacefully around the walls of the, of the city once a day for six days silently then on the seventh day walk around it seven more times and then at the very end have the worship team play as loud as they can and then the walls will fall down and you can take the city now 
That's craziness. I, I like to imagine Joshua uh, sitting down with his generals, uh, telling them this plan. Listen, guys, this is what we're going to do. I know it doesn't make any sense. This isn't the way that any of us thought that we should attack this city. They're going to call us crazy. They're probably going to laugh at us. But I trust God. He asked me to do it this way, and so this is the way that I'm going to do it. And so they marched for seven days around the city of Jericho. And on the last day, at the very end, uh, the electric guitar player played an amazing solo, and the walls fell down. Israel took the city and all of the plunder was offered up to God as the first fruits of their journey into the promised land. See, the, the request was crazy. But the request is irrelevant because Joshua trusted the source. It doesn't matter how crazy, it doesn't matter if you don't understand in the moment when you trust the source of a request, you can trust the request. Now here's the thing. God has given us this example of how sex is to be used. He has established guidelines that He wants us to follow, that sex is best used in the framework of a lifelong, exclusive marriage. The world is telling us to do the opposite, that sex outside of marriage is okay, that experiencing multiple sexual partners just makes you better at it, that you shouldn't be tied down to just one person, that you should sow your wild oats. And we have to decide who we're going to trust on this one, God or our desires. So what does it look like to trust God with your sex life? So let me give you some stats. Yeah, it's worth noting that any of the statistical information I use in today's message comes from secular scientific studies. They don't come from Christian sources who have uh, you know, agen an agenda that they want to push. They come from secular studies uh, done in a scientific way. Uh, and so I think they answered the question, so what does it look like to trust God with your sex life? So, here they are. Compared to singles... Uh, compared to sexually active singles in non-marriage relationships, married couples report the happiest level of satisfaction in their, uh, with their sex, li sex lives. The married people are happier with their sex lives than sexually active singles. In that group of married people who are, uh, feel satisfied, do you know who the most satisfied group is? People 50 to 60 years old. Get it. A different study concluded that married people will end up having better health and wealth and will probably die happier than sexually active single people. Married people have a lower likelihood of stroke and heart disease and depression. And this is crazy. This is scientifically proven that married people even respond better to stress and heal faster than sexually active singles. There is something about trusting God with your sex life. There is something about a mutually, uh, mutual and exclusive love shared by two people that makes us happier and healthier. Now, a few years ago, we did a message series on uh, relationships and marriage. And um, what we ended up doing was we invited some couples who had been married a long time to share their wisdom with us. And so we invited them to the front and we interviewed them. And one of those couples was Blair and Marge Thompson. 
And Blair is running sound today at the back, and uh, Marge is not here, and um, she, she knew better to come to church today. And <laughs> Steph is their daughter, and Steph was leading worship here today. And uh, so all of us were in the room, Blair and Marge are up at the front being interviewed, and uh, their kids are all in the room, and the pastor says, Blair, tell me, what is the secret to your happy marriage? And without missing a beat, Blair says, lots and lots of sex. (laughs) Well, Marge punched him in the shoulder, and Steph was scarred forever, and we still tease her about it to this day. But you know who agrees with Blair? Scientists. Science supports the theory that sex is the secret to a long and healthy marriage. So I'm going to give you a biology lesson because I know that's why you came to church today. In the center of our brains is something called the pituitary gland. It's responsible for a whole lot of bodily functions, things like your growth, Uh, things like your heart rate, things like your blood pressure. Um, And one of the best things that it does is it releases a hormone called oxytocin. Oxytocin has been called the love hormone. Uh, When oxytocin is released, uh, it releases a flood of endorphins in your brain, which are these natural opiates uh, that activate the pleasure center of your brain. So whenever you feel comfort, whenever you feel Security. whenever you feel belonging, you can thank the drug oxytocin in your mind. It is responsible for creating bonds between people, familiarity between people, deep connection between people. So for as an example, when a mother breastfeeds, oxytocin is released in her brain. And it fosters a deeper connection between her and her baby and between her baby and her. Right from the very start, God designed our bodies in a way that helped us develop and foster deeper and more intimate relationships with each other. So oxytocin is released because of many relational interactions. Things like holding hands to flirting to, you guessed it, sex. So follow this. When you have sex with someone, your body is literally releasing a chemical that is going to foster and grow a deeper connection with that person. That God has designed our bodies, our biology, to benefit from this exclusive and committed relationship. That continued sex with the same person in the same marriage bed will help you to grow closer together to connect more deeply and to have a stronger, more intimate bond with each other. And, that, and that's why in, in, when we talk about the, the category of uh, sexual satisfaction in uh, married couples, the, the reason why the people 50 to 60 are the most satisfied is because they've had the most sex. Their bodies have literally rewired themselves to be in love with each other no matter what their age is. That's Blair. That's Blair in the back. He's still at it. When you follow God's design for your sex life, when you submit to His guidelines, it is actually just better for you. 
Even though our culture promotes all of the alternatives, trusting God in this area leads to a fuller, happier life. Just like Joshua, when you are able to trust the source, you are able to trust the request. So here's something important. This actually works in all areas of your life. Trusting God and obeying His commands is good for you. Trusting Him with your family is good for you. Trusting Him with your career is good for you. Trusting Him with your finances is good for you. And yes, trusting Him with your sex life is good for you. So, the question is, what if you don't trust God? What if you just let your sex drive drive you? Let's go back to our story about the city of Jericho. After the walls fell and all the spoils were collected, they were offered to God, except for a fancy jacket and a handful of silver and gold. A man named Achan found himself alone in the city with no eyes watching what he was doing, and he stumbled upon a bit of loot that he decided to keep for himself, even though all of it was supposed to go to God. And he probably reasoned with himself, you know, like we do, you know, it's, it's not that much. It's just this one time. Nobody will even know or care. And so he swiped it and he buried it in a hole in the center of his tent. Suddenly things started to go wrong. Israel suffered a major loss and men died in a battle that should have been a sure thing. The people following Joshua into the promised land started to doubt that God could give them the land that he had promised. It became clear that God was upset, that somebody had disobeyed him. And Achan racked with guilt, knowing that it was him, knowing it was his fault, that his hidden sin was hurting the people around him, turned himself in. See, God, God wanted all of the good for Achan. He, he wanted him to live the rest of his life in the promised land. He wanted to give him everything that he ever dreamed of, but Achan traded all that in for something so much lesser. For a fancy jacket he'd never even get the chance to wear. For some gold and silver he'd never get the opportunity to spend. He didn't trust God with his life. And because of that he ended up losing everything. So what does it look like when we don't trust God with what he's told us about our sex lives. So here's the conclusion of a few more studies on sex and marriage. Sexually active single women experience far fewer orgasms than their married counterparts. Now, if that doesn't convince you that marriage is better, I'm not sure what will. Here's some more. Sexually active singles have more sexual problems, get the least pleasure out of sex, and are more likely to experience depression than their married counterparts. Statistically, third marriages succeed less often than second marriages, and second marriages succeed less often than first marriages. And here's the results of the last study. Regular porn users are more likely to report depression and a low level of physical health than non-users are. The overwhelming number of studies show, the evidence of these studies proves that God's design for sex, an inclusive married relationship, leads to increased 
health and happiness and that ignoring his design is just not good for us when we trust god with our sex lives when we live within his design we experience a fuller life and when we don't trust him when we when we trust our own desires when we let our sex drive drive we risk so much this whole topic is kind of a tough one. Living up to the standards that God has set out about sex is difficult. This room is full of people, myself included, who have fallen short of God's ideal. Talking about sex like we are today, uh, there's a chance for guilt and for shame to take over. Like, like Akin, we've buried our sin deep in the sand. We ignore it. We hide it away because of the way it makes us feel like we are less than. And talking about it only kind of brings out those negative feelings to the surface. But here's the thing. We are not defined by our mistakes. There is a woman in the story of Jericho. Her name is Rahab the prostitute. She was living well outside the boundaries of God's design for sex. Before Joshua had even seen the walls of Jericho, he had sent two spies ahead to the city to scout it out uh, and to see the best way to attack it. But these two spies were discovered and they were chased. And for some reason, Rahab decided to hide them. And in doing that, she saved their lives. And so the spies made a deal with her and they said, we are coming back and we are going to attack this city. So you need to hang a scarlet scarf out the window of your house. And when we return, everyone will know to spare your home and to spare everybody living there. You know, so many people avoid praying or going to church or per per pursuing faith because of shame. Because somehow we found ourselves living together and not married, and we start to think that God can't redeem that situation. We feel like over the years we have given away so many pieces ourselves to people uh, that there's nothing left worthy enough for God, that our sins, that our sexual mistakes disqualify us from a future and life with Christ. We brand ourselves with these permanent labels like Rahab, the prostitute. And sometimes we put those labels on ourselves and sometimes it's other po people putting those labels on us. Maybe you've been labeled before. Maybe you've been labeled as a cheater. Maybe you've been labeled as a porn addict. Maybe you've been labeled as a guy who's got lots of notches in his bedpost. Maybe you've been labeled as a slut or just a teen mom or just another guy with a failed marriage. These labels are not permanent and they are not accurate because the power of the cross is that your identity doesn't come from your activities or the things that you have done. It doesn't come from your deepest, darkest failure because the power of the cross, your identity is found in the perfect love of Jesus. You are not defined by your failures. You are not defined by your pain. You are defined by His forgiveness. You are a child of God. And there is this chapter in the book of Hebrews in the Bible that lists some of the greatest heroes of faith. It's Hebrews 11. It lists these 
towers of men and women who, who had faith in, in difficult circumstances. People like Noah. Uh, it's about Noah who built a giant boat in the middle of a drought. People like Abraham and Sarah who fathered uh, the beginning of a great nation. It talks about uh, a guy named Joseph who was betrayed by his family but ended up showing the mercy talks about Moses who helped his people escape slavery. It goes on to talk about Gideon and Samson and David and Samuel, all these giants of faith. And you know whose name is listed among these heroes? Rahab, the prostitute. Her label got changed. She became hailed in Scripture as a woman of of faith. If you and I looked at her, we would have seen someone who looked like they threw their life away. Someone who is defined by her greatest mistakes. Someone whose sin was just too great. But when God looked at her, He didn't see any of that. He saw a woman of faith. He saw someone worth dying for. He saw someone worthy of His love. He saw a child of God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And we're going to sing a song together and worship together. You know, guys, it's always better to do things God's way. It's always better to trust His instructions, to trust His guidelines. But no matter what you have done, God can make you clean again. Maybe you've made mistakes like Rahab. But God wants to forgive you. He wants to redeem you. And He wants to give you a new label. A child of God. And this morning, I don't want the only message that you take away from all of this to be don't sin. That, that, that is a, if you walk away from here, hearing me just say don't sin, then I, then I have done something wrong. That is not why I was on my knees this week praying for you. That is not why right now my heart is beating faster inside of my chest. The thing that I want you to walk away from here today hearing, the truth that I want you to know is that God wants you to throw off your shame and your guilt and He wants you to get rid of the labels that you have put on yourself and He wants you to find your spot at His side where there is forgiveness of sins where all things are redeemed for His purposes and where you can discover that trusting Him with your life, even your sex life, means discovering that He who began a good work in you will finish it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You this morning that You love us so much that you have given us the gift of each other, that you have given us the gift of love and sex and marriage and relationships. We thank you that you have this great design for us. Teach us to trust you. Teach us to trust you more than we trust ourselves. Teach us to give our life over to you, knowing that you have our best interests in and Jesus, today, for any of us in this room or watching online that have been given these labels that carry around this shame, this guilt, that you would remind us that there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. 
that there is life and life to the full when we decide to follow you. That there is forgiveness for sins, that we are not defined by our mistakes, but that we are defined by you. That we are children of the God Most High. Thank you for this time we've had together. Amen.